Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more attention, that just need a little more love. Our movie today is a perfect candidate for a show like this. And again, we're going right back to the horror genre, which I have said before is really my bread and butter. That's that kind of the reason I invented this show, because I like highlighting these horror movies that might not be as well known as some of the other ones. And we've had some good ones on the show so far. We've uh, basically, uh, to make a long story short, I used to, when I first popped up on Facebook, I had a website that was called 10 Great Horror Movies Most People Have Never Seen. And it's something that I reference a lot because it was kind of the foundation of the, the horror section of the show. And we've done four movies, I think, off that list so far. We did The Changeling. We did uh, Black Christmas. And maybe we've only done three. I forget. This might be the third one. This is The movie we're talking about today is called Ginger Snaps. It's a Canadian horror movie from 2000. It's... Uh, Kind of a uh, young adult horror movie. It's not like the most hardcore horror movie you've ever seen. It's more for youth, for young adults, for teenagers, especially teenage girls. And what is perfect for this show is that, hey, I happen to have someone who writes young adult horror novels on as my guest. So we have a perfect candidate for this one. I want to welcome her back to the show. Uh, let's see. She was on before. She talked about Unfriended, the Internet horror movie which was about uh, teens killing themselves and teen suicide. And here we have another movie about teens and suicide. So welcome to the show, Fiona Carter. You have finally established a pattern for what you like to talk about. Hey, Mario. I'm glad to be back. And yes, this movie is absolutely up my alley. Um, <laughs> you know me as Fiona Carter. Most of your listeners probably know me as Fiona Carter. You might also know me as Fiona J.R. Titchenell. If you happen to have looked at any of the books that show exactly why this movie is right up my alley. <laughs> okay, yeah, so explain, what do you write about? I know you write young adult and uh, a lot of feminist literature, stuff like that. Like this, th Is that specifically what you kind of focus on when you write books? Yes, definitely. That's one of my major things is to tell stories that don't get told as much because they're about women and we don't hear that side of things as much. Uh, right now, out of the pocket, my... Um, my sort of anti-paranormal romance is being featured by F-Bomb, Feminist Book of the Month, so very excited about that. It's basically about a, a lovesick teenage girl, a very lonely teenage girl who gets whisked off into a fantasy world by this um, mysterious uh, ghost-like man, and it turns out to be much more a horror story than a romance, and not at all what she expected. Uh, so if you want to look that up, that's out of the pocket. And if you want to subscribe to the Feminist Book of the Month Club, F-Bomb, uh, you get a special edition with an extra commentary at the beginning by me on all of the terrible things publishers said to me when I sent this to them. <laughs> Good. Uh, by the way, I just have to point out F-Bomb. That's one of my favorite analogies I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. I love that title for a Feminist Book of the Month Club. Yeah. Okay. So again, we talked about Unfriended before, and I don't know if people have listened to that episode. That's one about the teens who are all chatting, and it's about they bullied this girl into committing suicide, and then her ghost kind of comes up back on the internet and basically makes them commit suicide one by one. It's a very cheery movie, so I'm glad we got to do that one. That one was a lot of fun. Oh, it was. I love that movie. And so this one is about, um, I was just summarizing it for people real quick and then we'll go into it because I'm not sure how many people are aware of this movie. 
this is about these two teenage girls, kind of these little weirdo goth girls in Canada, somewhere in rural Canada, this little small town. And we will get involved in uh, lycanthropy. Is that the actual word? Yes, that is the word for the state of being a werewolf that has existed since I don't know when, but long before this movie. Okay, yeah, so it is a Canadian horror movie about teen girls and werewolves and menstruation and puberty. So I'm so excited that I have a girl on the podcast to talk about this with because I am not comfortable on this topic whatsoever. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> I'm glad to be here and to help with this. And squeamish boys in the audience, beware, because this is probably going to get a little graphic. <laughs> yeah, and, and just talking about it, I mean, it's, it, I'm making it sound like this is a movie just for teen girls and stuff, but it's really not. It's, it's, I love this movie. I happen to think, like I said, it was on my list of 10 great horror movies most people have never seen. And I love it because it just has a certain style about it and a certain confidence and just the way the actors portray the, 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 the characters and the story is, told, is told. I am a big fan of this movie. I'm assuming, I'm assuming you liked it right from the start, right? The first time you saw it? Oh, yes, absolutely. I love this movie. And I'm so happy that you love this movie because every time I fall in love with a movie like this, I worry that it, that it might be too esoteric for my particular life experiences. And not that those movies shouldn't exist, but I'm glad that it has as broad an appeal as it apparently does because it's also just so cleverly made and funny and well done. Yeah, it's one of those movies I really can't think of an equivalent to it. It's just one, it just jumps out at me is that, like, if anybody, if you were to describe this plot to me, I would always be able to pick out Ginger Snaps, you know, the teen girls in Canada, the werewolves. Like, it's just so much different than any other horror movie. And again, it's not one of the most like a uh, hardcore horror movies a person's ever going to see. It's not completely graphic. It's not super bloody or terrible. It's not torturey, but it's uh, like, it just, it fits its own little niche that I can't think of many horror movies that really hit that exact sweet spot. Yeah. I mean, it is fairly bloody, but not in the, not in the really mean way or the running down the screen way. It's more of, well, we start with these girls staging fake deaths and using movie blood all over the place, and the actual violence ends up looking a lot like that throughout. It's a little bit cartoony. Yeah, and I, I've said before my daughter watches a ton of horror movies. My daughter's 18. She's always getting recommendations from me, which are usually coming from you and your husband, Matt. So you guys probably have as much influence over my daughter as I do, so I will give you credit for that. Oh, I am deeply flattered. <laughs> but she even asked me today, she's like, oh, Ginger Snaps, I want to see that. And, I, and she's like, is it scary? And I'm like, it's not really that scary. Like, it's not one that you're going to have nightmares over and like it's going to jump scare you to death. But I really think she's going to like it. And I really think anyone, especially females like 12 to 25, this is right in your guys' wheelhouse, right? Yes, because this is, there's, it's right in the middle between this is what being a teenage girl is actually like combined with this is what it feels like and this is what you're terrified it's going to be like and a tiny little sliver of this is what you wish it would be like mm -hmm. all mixed together. Okay, yeah, so let's see, just uh, to summarize, because there's a lot going on in this movie and we're going to jump right into the plot because I think this is one people haven't seen. But a couple things I just wanted to say before we do that is that this is, a again, a Canadian horror movie, which surprisingly those are making a really good showing on staff picks because I think Black Christmas, The Changeling, and this one are all Canadians. So there's something that the Canadians do with horror that I somehow appreciate. I'm not sure what it is. They just do it. 
well, Americans go to Canada to make horror, too, so maybe there's something in the water. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing I wanted to say is that the budget on this movie is so low. Like, it just feels almost like a, uh, not a home movie, but like a really small indie movie, like a little passion project someone kind of threw together. And if I recall, this movie, it was like a, uh indie film, and it was like a, a hit at like a film festival, right, before it kind of crossed over and became a big hit later. Right, and it does show um, the werewolves are not the greatest looking you're going to see. They're not that terrible. They're not like school play bad. They're mm -hmm. not like Princess Bride bad, but it you can tell that it's it's not a movie that had the highest budget, and it relies on its actors and its script to make it work, and that's what makes it so great. And I love how this is kind of art imitating life, imitating art, it lost a lot of its funding right after the Columbine incident. Mm. Suddenly people found that teen slasher movies were, were disturbing and distasteful, and, and one of their backers backed out. And there's a scene in the movie, and I wonder if this was added afterwards, because they hadn't started filming yet, where the, the girls are showing their slideshow of all their fake suicide photos, and the teacher says, I am sickened. Come see me in the counselor's office afterwards. And here we have somebody shutting down this, this expression that's dark and morbid um, because he finds it disturbing without giving any particular thought to why did they do this? What, what makes somebody need to create this? Or even addressing what is it talking about? What is it saying? It, he just looks at the subject matter and instantly tries to shut it down without gauging whether what it's saying about that subject matter is good or bad. And I'm not saying that it's good, but that he doesn't even think about that. And that's exactly what that company tried to do to this movie. Just, oh, it's about this thing. It doesn't matter what you say about it. That's, that's disturbing. Because, of course, stopping people from discussing something, that's the easiest way to make a problem go away, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's one thing that's hard to get across to people who didn't live through that, what Columbine really did for movies and art and pop culture in general, that it really shut down a lot of things that, like, we talked about Arlington Road, which is like, it's, it's almost a textbook blueprint of what the kids tried to do at Columbine, and that movie, they really tried to downplay it afterwards because they didn't want people to think they were kind of writing off what happened to Columbine, and this one as well. And then this movie, like, um, I think I was just reading about this today. I don't know the backstory of this as well as some of the other movies we've done, but, like, this one, it won a couple film festival awards, but it wasn't, like, a big hit right out of the gate, right? It kind of had to slowly become a cult favorite among audiences. I believe so. Yeah, it's definitely considered a cult film now. It's not seen as being, having been a huge success. Yeah, and I, I'm trying to figure out where I specifically heard about it, because usually I can always pinpoint someone told me to see a movie or I read it about it somewhere. I don't remember how I heard about Ginger Snaps. It was just maybe on some internet movie database list, great horror movies from the last couple of years. So I just stumbled on it, and again, I just, I was just kind of uh, entranced by it, just because it's so different, and, and, and the, the characters, the two, it's really a two-character movie. There's really only two major characters in this movie. And one of them, I have to point out, is um, she's played by an actress named Emily Perkins, who I had known from the, the Stephen King miniseries It, where she plays Bev. 
So I remember when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, cool, Bevy is in another movie. So that was kind of how I first was taken by it. I didn't recognize her. I have to go and look at that again now. <laughs> yeah, that's Bevy from The Levy. <laughs> wow. I was going to say, it's funny because in, in It, she kind of sulks around and looks all morose and depressed. And in this movie, she does the same thing. So I think she was kind of stereotype, or, uh, typecast after a while there. Was that the, um, I don't know either of their, either of the actresses' names, unfortunately. Was this um, Ginger or Bridget? Bridget. Bridget, okay. Yeah, go watch it again. And again, I, I don't think the miniseries is especially good, but I always thought the kid actors in it were really good, and she is always strong. So, again, this is the uh, the second coming of Bevy from It, showing up here as one of the sisters in Ginger Snaps. That is awesome. <laughs> and wherever you did find this movie, I'm very glad for it because I found it through you. Oh, wow. I actually had an influence on your life. I'm so excited. Oh, you do that all the time. <laughs> Okay, so uh, before we start the movie, just one thing I have to say, and I say this every time you and Matt are on the show, and for people who don't know, they are, Matt and Fiona are married, they are both horror authors, and they're both a couple of weirdos, and I say that in the nicest possible way because they're interesting, and I love people that are interesting, but I love the fact that this movie is about these two sisters who stage their own death and do fake suicides and take pictures of it and do class projects about it. And what's funny is that it's very similar to Harold and Maude, where Harold is always faking his suicide to get attention. And I know that Harold and Maude is one of Matt's favorite movies, and I know that this is one of your favorite movies. So it is perfect that you, a couple of weirdos, like these movies about a couple of weirdos. You just reminded me. I have to remind Matt to actually show me Harold and Maude one of these days. We have not gotten around to that yet. Oh, wow. Wow. Look at, look at all the changes I'm having in your life today, all the effects. <laughs> <laughs> All for the better. All right, so are you ready to delve into this one? There's a lot going on here. There is a lot going on here, and yes, we better get started. Okay, and make me a promise, please, Fiona. What? When we get to the woman blood parts, please, you explain them. Can do. <laughs> okay, so here we go. This is the story of two sisters, Ginger Snaps. It's a kind of a pun. One of the girls' names is Ginger, and she is going to snap... So it may sound like a movie about cookies. It's really a full sentence about a uh, young girl going through the double whammy of A, puberty, and B, turning into a werewolf. Is that, 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 that how you sum it up as well? That is exactly it. And I love that it's kind of a double pun. Ginger snaps. She snaps as in she goes crazy and snaps like a dog snapping. Oh, I didn't even think about that. All right, good. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so it's about these two sisters. They're the Fitzgerald sisters. Their names are Bridget and Ginger. One of them is 16 and one is 15. And luckily, I did write down the actress names. One of them is, uh, her name is Catherine Isabella. She's a very well-known Canadian uh, horror actress. She plays Ginger, the titular character. And then her sister, the morose Bridget, is played by Emily Perkins from It, as we discussed. All right, and then... Yeah, we've got some minor supporting characters, but that's really the heart of the movie there. Yeah. Okay, so the start of this movie, it's this little small town in Canada. I'm not sure where. I'm assuming Ontario or something around there. And it's called, what, Bailey Downs? I can see the sign in my head. I cannot remember the name of the town. <laughs> yeah. As you can see, we have researched this movie endlessly. 
No, it is. It's called Bailey Downs. It's a small town in Ontario. And the movie opens with a, a mom and a little boy. They're like in their yard and they're playing and the boy's playing in the sandbox. And the boy says, look, mommy, what, look what I found. And he holds it up and it's like a paw of a dead dog. And the mom immediately sees this, looks over to her right and screams because there is a dog that has been mangled and torn apart on the lawn. And apparently this happens quite often in Bailey Downs. So we know that you love this movie already, right, Mario? Because they kill a dog in like the first minute, maybe minute and a half. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, I, this is my horror theory that I've mentioned before that for a horror movie to really have balls, they have to kill a dog just because so many movies won't go there. And this movie kills like 50 dogs. So this <laughs> might be the greatest movie of all time. All right, I, I can go with that. <laughs> so yeah, so so dogs are just dying left and right around this town, right? That's what's going on here? Yeah, that's sort of the setup we get that's going on in the background. But Bridget sees the mom running out into the street screaming about this and looks at her like this is this is a normal everyday thing. So we get kind of that story. Yeah. And, and again, this is like a backdrop. There's really two stories going on here. You're going to have these two sisters and we have this beast running around town killing dogs, which we will find out later is a werewolf. It's not really spoiling anything. That's where we're going. So this werewolf is running around town, ripping dogs apart left and right. And now we're going to go meet the sisters. So here we go. Our introduction to two of the, the biggest weirdo goth sisters you're going to see in a movie. So Bridget goes inside, and our first introduction to Ginger, when Bridget goes into their room, she's toying with the possibility of slitting her wrists with a kitchen knife, and then declares, wrists are for girls. And that just tells you so much about Ginger right there, because this is a theme that's going to come up throughout the movie. Well, obviously, first, that they're obsessed with death. But secondly, and this is going to come up a lot, so much of the sexism that they deal with it's the women who keep on repeating it and reinforcing it. And here's Ginger, the first time we meet her, wrists are for girls, automatically already using girl as an insult. And it's so true. It's so real to what teenage girls do, what people at any age do, but teenage girls especially. There's this pressure that there's the idea that you are less than but if you align yourself with that idea, with that that hate and that discrimination, that if you become its ally and wield it, that somehow you'll be protected from it. And of course, it's not true, but that's an idea that so many people have and hopefully grow out of later. Not everyone does. Yeah. And that's something that comes up time and again in this movie, that the girls are locked into this pattern. They're part of this system, this high school caste system, and they don't want any part of it. And the girls are the worst. They hate the girls. They don't want to be like them. And they've chosen to be the oddballs in the school. And again, they look like the oddballs. They, they wear goth clothing and just their general demeanor is just all depressed. And they, they go so far as they even have a suicide pact, right? They they're 15 and 16, and they have decided by the age of 16, they're both going to die together and be together forever. And they even have a pact. Um, it's uh, united against life as we know it. Right. And they did this when they were eight, and they were both really into it then. And we get the idea right in this scene that Bridget's maybe not as into it as she used to be, and Ginger is still clinging to this. And they have these scars on their hands from when they made this pact at first, and they, they make it over again and join their hands again, but Bridget's a little more wary of it now. 
Yeah, and Bridget is the younger one. I mean, she still has a year. Obviously, Ginger, the older kind of leader one, is 16 already, or she's about either. either I think her, her birthday is about to happen. So, yeah, they're right on the cusp when they have determined they're going to commit suicide. But uh, at this point, yeah, one of them, Ginger, is really hardcore going to go through with it. The other, Bridget, is maybe not 100% on, on board. But, yeah, this is really the story of Ginger. Ginger's the hardcore one. She's all in this, and she has the quote that Fiona said earlier that, yeah, she, how, how she's going to kill herself. She's like, you know, wrists are for girls. I'm slitting my throat. Like, she's going for it hardcore. Right. And Bridget is afraid, even when they're discussing death, even when they're discussing suicide, she's afraid of people looking at her, at her dead body and judging and laughing. And that's part of where this has lost its appeal to her, whereas Ginger wants this to be a performance, wants this to be an accomplishment. Yeah, and it's kind of funny that uh, Bridget is nervous about people seeing her dead body because isn't that literally what the girls do? They walk around and they have they take like fake death photos of themselves, a stage suicide, stage deaths, and they like show them to people. This is what they're known for. This is why everyone thinks the Fitzgerald sisters are weird. So it's weird that Bridget would not want to be seen in death when that's literally what they do to get attention. But when they're staging it, they get to control how it happens. All right. I will I will uh, defer to you, the suicide expert here. Totally not my expertise, <laughs> but all right. Okay, so so anyway, yeah, that's what these girls do. They take these death photos, and they're always doing this, and the parents know about it, and you'll see later the parents are like, fine, just do your little death thing. And uh, so the girls even bring these photos to class, right? This is the scene you were talking about. They've brought a presentation of class to class, which is them of doing all their death scenes. And the teacher's like, yeah, I don't think so. How about you go to the counselor instead? Right. And then we also get to know a little more about their classmates in this moment. And we get to know the boy that we're going to have to watch out for, Jason, who is taking this as an exhibition of ginger. And yeah, and then next thing we know, after they have the the counselor's office meeting there on the athletics field, and we know we find out about Trina, who's the resident mean girl. Not that any of them are all that nice. And she pushes Ginger. Sorry, she pushes Bridget, and Ginger offers to kill her for Bridget. <laughs> and this is the point where another dead dog randomly shows up on the athletics field and apparently nobody had noticed it was there until then yeah there's a scene where yeah literally the mean girl of school shoves bridget one of the goth sisters and she falls face first into a dead dog which you think you would have seen that on the field hockey field before you stepped in it like it's not like it was a small dog no no it's lying there bloody and fairly large and Trina is a dog lover. They're all kind of dog lovers, but Trina has a Rottweiler that she brings to school occasionally. <laughs> it's so, Canada. It's a different world. I, I, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Trina, she will become very important in this movie. She is the bully. She picks on these goth girls, and we have a scene in PE class where Trina pushes one of them, and there's almost this big altercation, and, and Ginger tries to stick up for her sister, and again... The whole plot of this movie will basically be these goth girls wanting to get revenge against Trina because Trina has apparently made their life hell. And, you, and they talk about it before and all throughout the movie that girls are just terrible to each other and Trina's the worst. So this will become an altercation all throughout the movie. The mean girl against these two goth sisters. And we also find out in this scene that Trina is 
dating or thinks she's dating Sam, the local drug dealer, but he doesn't seem to be terribly interested. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I cannot get the character names in this movie straight. So in my notes, I just wrote down the rich girl and the drug dealer and the boyfriend. Like, I don't remember their names. I'm terrible. <laughs> yeah, I originally wrote down the sisters, the bully, the drug dealer, and the asshole, and then went and <laughs> added their names into my notes. Yeah. Okay, good. See, I'm not alone. So uh, anyway, we have a scene here where the two goth girls, you know, they're just the weirdos in school. But the older one, Ginger, she's the redhead, and she's starting to develop. She's going through puberty. She has obvious breasts, and boys are starting to hit on her. And she wants nothing to do with it. Again, these are just the, the, the outcast, the antisocial crowd. And someone hits on her, and she's like, F off, and tells them to go away. So again, this is, this is the reality of their life. Looking at this reality from the other side, this asshole guy comes up and says, I think we should hang out sometime. He's been hitting on her for a while and she's had no interest. She just says, no. He says, bitch. So how quickly that switches from I want you to I hate you just oh. instantly on a dime. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that is not uncommon. Not defending guys, but that, that tends to be how it works sometimes. <laughs> yes. I mean, anyway, yeah, so then perhaps the males in this movie are not the greatest role models and Although there's one, the drug dealer. For some reason, the drug dealer seems to be the noble one later. Yeah, he's he's pretty okay, and everyone else in this movie will... I mean, the sisters are sympathetic, but when... After Trina pushes Bridget into the dog corpse that's on the field for some reason, the sisters then conspire to kidnap Trina's dog. They're, they're not going to kill it, but they just want her to think that it was killed by the dog-killing monster that lives in their town. Yes. Okay, so here we go. Let's get into the plot here. This is where the movie will really ramp up. So we go home for dinner, and they have the mom. And the mom is like the one-name actress in this movie. She's played by Mimi Rogers, who I don't know all that well. I just know she used to date Tom Cruise, so that's really what I know about her. <laughs> well, she's great in this movie. I know that. Yeah, and she's the one-name actor. Like, they probably spent half the budget just getting her to be in the movie. <laughs> well, I would be excited to be in this movie if I were... I were a prominent actress, but I don't know how it works. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a it's a Canadian indie movie. If you're a Hollywood actress, it, it's it's going to be a little step down, I would think. Yeah, probably. Yeah. The real okay. So anyway, we go to dinner, and and the girls are sitting around the table, and mom's talking to them, and Ginger, the older sister, has a sore back. She's always rubbing it, and she's going through this pain, and the mom's like, "I think I know what you're going through," and the Ginger's like, "What?" And the mom's like. I think it's cramps. I think you're going through puberty. And this is where we learn they are 16 and 15 and they have not actually gone through puberty yet. They're like three years late, both of them. Right. It's acknowledged that, yeah, that's pretty late, and especially with Ginger looking as mature as she does. That's unusual, but Ginger does not want to talk about this, Has wants nothing to do with it because it's part of part of what normal girls go through and she doesn't want to be normal and also probably just doesn't want to talk about it with her mother. And her dad says, the most dad thing here, we're eating. Because, of course, you know, men who are stereotypically so into their own bodily functions, that the worst thing you could possibly endure is having to listen to the existence of women's bodies outside of sex. <laughs> That's a good point. I will I will remind you of that as we're going through this podcast when you get to the icky girl parts. Fiona, we're eating. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to keep on talking. <laughs> okay, so so the mom 
gets mad at Ginger. They get in a fight. Ginger just doesn't get along with her parents. She's just difficult. And again, I assume, I think she assumed she'd be dead long before puberty that she was supposed to kill herself. So she wants nothing to do with this. All they're concerned about at this point is they're going to go kidnap this rich girl's dog and do a fake suicide photo to make it look like they killed the dog, right? Right. Okay, so walk us through this. What happens as they go out that night to kidnap the dog? Okay, they go out to kidnap the dog and happen upon an actual dog corpse. Just happens to be lying around, just like the one on the field, because this town is littered with dog corpses. And they think, great, it kind of looks like her dog. We can leave a real body this way. So they're trying to move this dog corpse, and Bridget says, equivalent of, you've got red on you. And turns out it's not from the dog. Ginger has started her period. And she says, as you do, I got the curse. Because curse of being female. And Bridget responds, ew. Well, it's not contagious. Ginger says this heartbreaking line, if you kill yourself to be different, but your body betrays you. Yeah. (laughs) So they're having this sad moment of, how she's stuck in this role, and then suddenly they get attacked by something. <laughs> yeah. It's the great double whammy. You're going through the curse for the first time, and you happen to get attacked by a werewolf right in that moment. Like Right in that moment, because <laughs> why Why more movies don't do this, I'll never know, because, uh, let's see, uh, cycles of 28 days that make you want to kill something hair developing in weird places. How has nobody made this metaphor before? Why Why would people take that description of a monster and think that's probably a dude? Yeah, I I mean, we're eating Fiona, first off. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, secondly, I think you're absolutely right. It's I, It never crossed my mind until I was reading some reviews of it, how similar the cycles of you know menstruation and puberty are with the cycle of a werewolf in a story. Yeah, it's a complete no-brainer that nobody had done this before, but they go for it right here, and yeah, it's a... I guess you may not catch that analogy the first time you, you watch the movie, but it's it completely obvious the more you think about it. Yeah, because, again, there happens to be a werewolf running around the town, and here it comes, and it's... it. I guess it was attracted to this dog that it killed, and there's still fresh blood. It sees Ginger there. It probably smells Ginger's blood, and it attacks her. It goes after her, and this is will really drive the entire rest of the movie. Yeah, and as soon as actual death is on the line, we get to see that the girls really don't want to die. Bridget really, really doesn't want Ginger to die, and she's freaking out as the werewolf is attacking her and trying to save her, and eventually gets her away from the werewolf, and they they run for it, and the werewolf gets hit by Sam, by the drug dealer's van, (laughs) as they're running away. Yeah, let's, okay, let's... uh... I'll I'll paint a picture for people who have not seen this movie. Yeah, the girls are being attacked in the middle of the night by this werewolf, and Ginger gets ripped up pretty good. She doesn't get killed, but she gets scratched, and she's bleeding, and they're running across the street, and as the werewolf chases them across the street, down, uh, driving across the road comes the local drug dealer, this kid Sam. He happens to plaster the werewolf and runs it over and kills it, which... I don't remember werewolves being able to be killed by a car, but I guess that's how it works in this movie. And the werewolf gets flattened, and it's dead, and nobody really knows what it was. They think it was a dog, but all they know is that Sam and Bridget and Ginger have been through this moment where they killed something that was attacking her. Yeah, and they make jokes about that later, about how uh, silver bullets don't seem to be necessary. But we, we established that early on, at least. And then they don't stop to talk to Sam, Ginger, and... Bridget goes straight home, 
and Bridget's trying to save Ginger, who's bleeding profusely and muttering, what did I do? Like, obviously, this is her fault somehow. And Bridget even theorizes maybe it was attracted to to your period, even though there was a dead, bleeding dog on the ground that it could also have been attracted to. But then suddenly her wounds start healing as the magic kicks in. So they decide not to go to the hospital. Yeah, and there's a uh, shot here in science class of the next day. Ginger, again, she's been attacked by a werewolf. And she's like passing out and she's weak and something's wrong with her. But again, the, the girls have seen that the, the wounds, her scratch is already healing. And they're like, that's weird. And obviously what this means is we don't we won't find this out until later. Ginger is turning into a werewolf herself. But right now, what's more of a pressing concern is that she's going through menstruation and she's bleeding. And there's a scene here where they have to go to like the drugstore, right, and get Tampax. Right. They go into a drugstore and they're standing in the aisle and Bridget proposes, hey, this one comes with a free calendar. Because what are you going to base this purchase on when you have no support and no knowledge of it? And then they're they're walking out to buy the tampons and and Ginger's obviously in a lot of pain. And Bridget says, are, are you sure it's just cramps? The words just and cramps, they they don't go together. Yeah. Well, Ginger has a good retort. What is her retort there? The words just and cramps don't go together? No, she says, oh, yeah, there's no such thing as just cramps. Oh, does she say that too? Yeah. <laughs> and there's another scene where, where this, again, there's a point where the drug dealer who hit the werewolf last night kind of sees them and he proposes, well, how about we all go get high? It'll take some of the edge off. And Ginger's like, no, F you, I like my edge. I thought it was Jason. I thought it was the, the asshole guy who's been hitting on her who suggested that. Yeah, far be it for me to confuse characters in this movie who are nondescript. <laughs> well, yeah, but th there's a difference between them. Okay, yeah, so they, they all go get high, and this is where the girls are actually kind of hanging out with the popular kids for the first time ever, right? Well, first we've got Ginger turns him down at first and says, I like my edge, and he says, or maybe you're just too chicken to lose it because obviously they're talking about sex and not just periods and weed and lycanthropy, because we've got to be talking about sex, too. So then eventually Ginger, yeah, changes her mind and goes and gets high with this guy in the back of the drug dealer's van, who will eventually find out did not invite them to get high in the back of his van. <laughs> Okay, there's a, a scene here I got to point out, and this will drive a lot of the story in this movie, where the drug dealer and Bridget are there, and they're talking about what happened last night. And he's like, you know, your sister got hit by, bit by something, and I killed it with the car. And he immediately goes, it looked to me like a lycanthrope, which seems like a big jump of logic for a 16-year-old kid to make, but he immediately has identified that might have been a werewolf. So he and Bridget have the secret now that they saw a werewolf last night, but they will never tell anybody. It's just their little secret. Right, and we don't know if it's magic that made him think that or some pre-existing knowledge or, of course, later on we find out that he, he looked at it and it, it had somewhat humanoid parts. But now they, they are both aware of this and Ginger, all she seems to know is that she's suddenly acting differently because it's what happens no matter how hard you try to stay the same, you end up being curious and taking risks are not always the right ones, but it's inevitable. So she goes and and gets high with this guy in the back of the van, and Sam eventually kicks everyone out of the van because 
he didn't invite them there. And we see Trina's dog flip out at the smell of ginger. So little hint there is if we needed another one. Yeah, Ginger is going through some life changes here. Not only is she going from a girl to a woman, she is also going from a human to a werewolf very imperceptibly. And you get the little hints here that, like you said, yeah, Trina's dog barks at her because the dog can sense evil. It, it knows that something's wrong with Ginger. And then at dinner, Ginger is is a, she's like a, no, it's not at dinner. It's the two sisters are back at the house, right? It's the two of them in the bathroom first. Okay. Um, with Bridget saying something's wrong more than you being just female. Because of <laughs> yeah. course that's already something wrong. And it's again, the girls repeating this, this shit <laughs> to each other and to themselves. But her point is, this is not normal puberty. There's something else going on here. And there's hair starting to grow out of Ginger's gashes from where the wolf attacked her. So they go to the nurse <laughs> who explains that a period is a natural, normal, if horrifying-sounding thing, and gives Ginger some condoms. And they try to explain the the symptoms, the blood, ridiculous gushing of blood, and hair growing in strange places, and, and feeling different. And she says, yep, that's all normal. <laughs> so, no help from the nurse, understandably. Yeah, the nurse is great. That's, there's not too many comic moments in this movie this is one great moment where the, throughout the next the next 15 20 30 minutes of the movie uh ginger will try to explain her symptoms what's happening to her and everybody but her sister thinks that's just puberty oh growing hair growing a tail gushing blood oh you're just that's just that's just the womanhood that's the curse that's what happens and she's like no something's wrong and her sister bridget is the only one convinced that ginger's turning into a werewolf but again everyone else even the nurse here the nurse has this big old shit-eating grin she's like yep it's a period uh-huh. And then their mom goes and makes Ginger's favorite dessert and congratulates her, and Ginger is having none of this. But Bridget keeps on saying this is not normal, and eventually she and Ginger actually get into a fight about it, with Ginger accusing Bridget of being jealous that she's growing up. Yeah, well, because as Ginger is going through puberty and as she's going through these changes, all of a sudden the boys are starting to notice her and she is starting to respond to the boys. She like got high with them and Ginger's like making out with a boy now or kissed him. So that's it's the point where all of a sudden Ginger is changing and becoming a woman and starting to do more quote unquote normal girl things like respond to boys and be flirtatious. And Bridget has nothing, wants nothing to do with that. So yeah, they get in a big fight here over whether this is normal or if Bridget is just jealous that Ginger's a grown up now. Yeah. And that this is when Ginger gets her teen movie, slow motion walk down the school hallways, all, all dolled up. And it's this, this amazing image where this is her, trying to embrace something new that she's capable of mm -hmm. how look i'm i'm beautiful and i can i can use this but she is so small when she takes off the the covering coats she's this tiny barely an hourglass figure and she looks so vulnerable in that giant hallway at the same time like is this is this her taking power or is this her surrendering to something all in this one moment? And it's just perfect for the metaphor of the movie. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's It's a great scene. It's Ginger's 
coming out party, as it were. She's like Miss Thing now, walking around school, and she's like just throwing the vibe around to any boy. And yeah, and meanwhile, while she's doing this and going through this transition, her sister is still very concerned. She's like, I think something's wrong with Ginger. She's not just like a woman now. She's something's happening to her. And she goes and meets the drug dealer Sam, and they start researching like symptoms and like how can we like uh, what's going on? How do people turn into a werewolf and it's kind of convoluted. Bridget lies and says it's actually me that's turning into a werewolf when she's actually talking about her sister. But a strange alliance is being formed here between Sam and Bridget trying to figure out how you cure someone from being a werewolf. Yeah, and she thinks he's only going to help if he's helping her because he doesn't like her sister very much. And so they're they're researching this and eventually they're looking at this picture that she left on his van of the werewolf and how this does not look like any dog, any monster that we're aware of existing in our universe. And then Bridget sneaks into, sneaks over to Ginger in their room at night and sees that she is growing a tail. Yeah. The telltale sign that perhaps this isn't just puberty. Although I will, I will plead male ignorance here. That is not indeed a sign of of woman puberty, right? No, okay. no, there's no tail. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> yeah, so so Ginger's growing a tail, and now Ginger's starting to get a little confused. She's like, I thought this was just like puberty, me becoming a woman, and now she's starting to get a little scared, and she like tries to cut off her tail. And again, it's just getting really weird between the sisters that Ginger's going through all these changes and she's literally turning into a monster. And Bridget kind of knows it's happening and Bridget can't do anything about it. She's trying to figure out how do you stop someone from turning into a werewolf. And Sam she, suggests using a silver piercing and gives her his earring. And she tries that and it doesn't really work. Yeah, silver does not work. So hitting a car with a, a werewolf with a car works, just you can't pierce them with silver. And, uh, yeah, Bridget tries to put a little silver navel ring in Ginger, and it doesn't work. So, again, and Bridget is terrified because you can see her circling on a calendar. 28 days away, there's another full moon on Halloween, and we better figure this out before that full moon or, or the shit's going to hit the fan here. Right. Again, the 28-day cycle that nobody lined up before this movie that I know of. <laughs> but then Ginger, she really goes after Jason, the asshole guy who was chasing her before, and we get this uh, reversal scene where they're making out in his car and he starts telling her to relax and teases her for being too into it because clearly he's used to pressuring people into sex and he likes it to be that way. And she keeps going at him and he says, who's the guy here? Which naturally makes Ginger angry, but instead of storming out because she's a werewolf, she... Um, she totally rapes this guy in his car and does this also without protection and with a lot of biting him. So there's a communicable, communicable disease issue going on here, too. And it's this is where we have that one little sliver of instead of this being what being a teenage girl is like, it's what you wish it was like. Not that we want to do that to boys in general, but we've all met this one guy and you want to see the smug wiped off his face and see... What if we weren't the one who was afraid? And that's what the scene does. Yeah, and that's the scene that stood out to me as well. Yeah, it's the, the boy basically coming on to Ginger. She doesn't want to do it in the traditional way. She comes on to him and basically just tears him apart. And that sounds like an analogy, but it's really not. She literally, like, rips him apart as they're having sex. It's very a, it's one of the more graphic scenes in the movie, if I recall. Yeah, there's there's still a cutaway, but it's... Pretty horrifying at first, 
and then we're we're gonna see him later being all messed up from it yeah and even worse while they're having sex and she's getting turned on like her spine starts to protrude like a werewolf's would it's really kind of creepy uh-huh and then ginger comes home crying after this and bridget obviously thinks the opposite of what happened happened and ginger starts then vomiting blood and we think for a while it's his blood but then she says i got this ache and i thought it was for sex but it's to tear everything to fucking pieces (laughs) who hasn't confused those things exactly how many people have you torn apart in your life fiona um uh, but but when you're a teenager god it feels like the same thing yeah yeah and uh i don't i mean it was many years ago since i was a teenager and i wasn't really like talking to girls or dating so perhaps i'm not the one to talk about this but yeah teenager teenage dumb obviously a very confusing angry time for most kids and i will take your word for it that you that girls most usually want to rip all the guys apart that are just dis uh dissing the what's the disrespecting them there's that there's there's the anger over that but there's also just I assume guys get this too, or some version of it, just the really weird extreme hormone rushes that happen where you get angry about nothing to a a physical extreme. (laughs) And it gets mixed up in all the other things that you're wanting and discovering in that time. See, see, I was busy playing Dungeons and Dragons, so perhaps that wasn't (laughs) my my experience, but I can see for a normal kid that would happen. And yeah, this this anger... uh, hormones lust rage just all sorts of stuff going on and like you said ginger not only has sex with this guy and basically like you said rapes him basically but then afterwards just to just to drive the point home she rips a dog apart on the way home just because it feels good right and that's what we find out the blood is and yeah that scene is just it's incredible because there's this yeah it's what if we weren't the ones who were afraid because i know I'm sure everybody's afraid when they're a virgin and when they're starting to think about this, because everyone's afraid socially of that. And am I going to screw up? Am I going to be normal? Everyone worries about that. With girls, there's also the, how is this going to reflect on me? Because we're going to get into later in this movie, how even though, even though she totally raped this guy, he still brags about it like a victory to the other guys. And here in this scene, when Ginger's lamenting to Bridget, she says, uh, he's probably telling everyone what a freak I am right now. And Bridget says, we'll say the same thing about him. And she says, it doesn't work like that. He got laid. I'm just a lay. So there's that that you're afraid of, where doing the exact same thing, having sex, is considered automatically a victory if you're male and automatically a, a loss if you're female, no matter what the circumstances are. And then there's physically, you're smaller and you're, even while your hormones are saying you want this and your clitoris is like a tiny penis saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. You've also got your vagina, which is like, you want to fit what in me now? Are, are you actually high? <laughs> yeah. Oh, to back up what you say, they really show that in the movie. <laughs> Because the guy has been raped and he's like torn apart. He's got scratches all over and he goes to school and all his buddies are high-fiving him. It's like, all right, you're a victim of a sex crime. Way to go. Right, which is like a terrible thing about the way men are treated as well. Like nobody would possibly acknowledge him if he'd actually told the truth that, God, I, this happened to me and I didn't want it. 
They, they look at you like you were, you were crazy. He's a terrible person. We're, we're lucky that he's a terrible person. But if he weren't, that would be really sad. Yeah. And then Ginger, of course, has had sex for the first time. And she shows up at school. And all the other girls are like, slut, you're a terrible slut. I hate you. So, yeah. So, it backs mm-hmm. up exactly what you were saying. So, the boyfriend has been attacked. And he is, you know, he's all excited that he was savaged by the weird Fitzgerald sister. But now he realizes there's consequences that now he has been given the curse. And, of course, in this curse, in this movie, the curse doesn't mean... Uh, uh, puberty it means he's literally a curse ter- cursed into turning into a werewolf as he starts peeing blood right and we've also got ginger flipping out more in this time attacking trina um getting sent to the office okay yeah violently pissing blood after that that would be jason the asshole <laughs> and bridget sees him pissing blood which is even worse Yes, and realizes, oh, it, it is contagious in this particular case. Yeah, so, so okay, so Bridget, the sister, the one sane sister, knows, you know, something bad is about to happen. We have my sister ripping dogs apart, raping guys, turning them into werewolves. She's like, we got to stop this. And I know this full moon's coming in like two weeks, three weeks. So she goes to the drug dealer, Sam, and Sam is like, well, we tried the silver uh, the belly button ring and that didn't work I guess that only works in movies it's one of these things oh in real life let's have, we have to do something else so he's like I'll try to come up with something homeopathic so he's going to try to come up with some kind of herb concoction that will maybe cure this yeah he suggests monk's hood which is also known as wolfsbane that goes in the legends too and he says but it's going to take a while I've tried seeding some it's not in season right now <laughs> yes and then Ginger comes in and, and busts us up and accuses Sam of only helping because he's trying to seduce Bridget. And we've seen no evidence of that specifically and accuses him of being too old for her. And when Bridget defends him, says, we're trying to help. And Ginger storms out and says, well, if he rapes you, don't come crying. Because, you know, of course, if you get raped, it can only be because of your own unforgivable crime of failing to not get raped. And this is, again, the shit that these girls pass back and forth to each other. Yeah, so let's talk about this Wolfsbane for a second, just because I'm curious about this. <laughs> That's the good transition from rape rape to Wolfsbane. Yeah, <laughs> back to the fantasy. Yeah, is Wolfsbane, is that a traditional werewolf cure? I don't, I have not done the research on this. Is that something they would use in other stories? What is that? Um... We'll, we'll see it later in the movie that it's this flowering herb. But yeah, Monk's Hood, Wolfsbane, and Aconite. I know this because they're listed as being the same in uh, the Harry Potter books of all places. <laughs> but yeah, I've heard it mentioned before. I don't know where it started as being a werewolf cure or repellent or something. And they, they explain in the movie how it works, right? Uh, at some point, they're going to talk about how they're going to have to inject it. Well, well, I mean, what physiologically what it does, it, it creates white blood cells. So it it uh, forces all the bad blood out of your body and forces in new blood. So that's basically how this is supposed to work. Okay. Yeah, which, which would also make it the only effective homeopathic treatment for anything ever. Yeah, so score one there. <laughs> score one for the homeopaths. Oh, my dad's going to kill me if he ever listens to this. <laughs> okay, remind me to send him the link to this podcast. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, as all this is going on, Bridget and the, the drug dealer are trying to figure out this homeopathic treatment and how to get Wolfsbane. Ginger, of course, is still transitioning, and she's developing claws and fangs. You can see she's got, she's got little teeth. 
And there's kind of a fun little running joke that every time she, her mom sees her being embarrassed, the mom's like, oh, it's a body image thing. She's going through puberty. She's like not realizing her daughter's actually embarrassed because she's growing claws. Uh-huh. And Ginger's exploiting this, yelling out, I'm fat, okay, go away, when she's just as far from fat as anyone could humanly be. <laughs> Okay, so here we go. Here comes the big murder scene. Then, yeah, things go. are going to escalate in this movie that the rich girl, uh, Trina, is, her dog is missing. It's been run away or something, and she's like, I know you girls were going to take it. And she comes and confronts the Fitzgerald sisters, and it all compounds, and, like, what happens? Like, she gets kidnapped or something and brought back to the house? Oh, she came over to their house already to demand her dog back and it's more than just her dog she's also accusing Bridget of stealing Sam away from her and says he's he's doesn't really like you he's just into virgins and we haven't seen this side of Sam and you sort of wonder what the story was between them and whether there's any truth to that but he's he's been perfectly nice to the Fitzgerald sisters so far and then when Bridget doesn't hand over the dog or say I'll stay away from Sam or anything like that. Trina shouts, you're as big a cunt as your sister, to which Bridget instantly responds, no, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Have you watched the first half of this movie? No, I'm not. <laughs> which probably didn't come out quite as sisterly as Bridget <laughs> intended. Yeah, so we get this scene here where Trina confronts the girls back in the house and there's this big argument and Ginger, I think, is ready to attack and kill Trina. But in the moment, um, what happens? There's some milk and it spills on the floor and Trina, the rich girl, slips and hits her head on the, on the counter and all of a sudden she's dead in a pile of blood on the floor in the middle of the Fitzgerald's kitchen and the girl's like, oh crap, we just accidentally killed somebody. Right, and then their parents are coming home right then and so what do they do? They decide to, ah, genius, they disguise it as another one of their fake suicides and have Ginger lie in the puddle of blood pretending that it's fake. Yeah. This is, the, this is the benefit to faking these fake death scenes in front of your parents. You can get away with literally murder because when the parents come home and find blood all over the kitchen, you can just say, hey, we're filming another scene, Mom, it's corn syrup. And the parents are like, oh, Ginger. We told you not on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Mother. So then we find out that they've stashed Trina's body in the freezer and the mom is going to put leftovers in the freezer and to distract her, Bridget says, uh, mom, what do guys want? <laughs> and she's just so excited to be asked. And we cut to her and Bridget sitting on the couch with milk and cookies with Bridget, this shell shocked, horrified look on her face and her mom saying, and that's what men want. And it's played for laughs, but it's also horrifying, just like so much else in this movie, that even Bridget's own mother is telling her that she's going to have to do things she's not comfortable with in order to be liked. And it's it's also really sad as at the same time that it's funny. But then, of course, we think uh, we, we've met her dad, so why her mother thinks like this is not such a mystery. <laughs> oh, Bridget, it's dinner. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so the girls have killed Trina, the popular girl, and in, in the excitement of, of uh, burying her body, they've accidentally chiseled off two of her fingers, which <laughs> it happens. It happens sometimes. 
And so these fingers will be laying in the yard. They'll come back later. But what happened is now one of the rich girls has been is missing, and there's posters for her up all over school. And all of a sudden the girls, the sisters, know we're in hot water. We can't really get out of this now. They're going to find out. And what do they start doing? They start saying they're going to do their suicide pact or they're going to run away. They're like, we, we can't get out of this. And this is the point where Ginger just stops going to school altogether. It's too risky. And we've got this wonderful exchange with the parents, with the dad telling the mom they're up to something. And the mom saying, oh, no, they're just being normal teenage girls while they're hiding a dead body. <laughs> and, oh, go back to your own little world. You're not doing anyone else any good out here. So he's clearly not a good dad, but he's also not getting any encouragement to be involved. <laughs> so they they dig a shallow grave under their, their childhood playhouse and bury Trina and they say Ginger says we can't get caught because a girl can only be a slut a bitch a tease or a virgin nothing else and that includes a murderer no one would think a girl could do this so we'll we'll just ride on that and again it's them passing this around in this case it's them trying to turn to their advantage but again that still doesn't work even when they're thinking of it that way because Oh, first we've we've got Jason, the asshole, grabbing Bridget in a broom closet, and he's all messed up and freaking out that he just killed his own dog, <laughs> and he's sort of begging her for help, but more threatening than begging. Yeah, this is one of the complications. It's one one of the complications the girls face at this point that they think they're going to get away with this, but there's a little evidence out there about uh meaning the girl, the guy that uh Ginger raped and turned into a werewolf. Now, he's werewolfing too, so it's maybe not as simple of getting away with this as they think it's going to be. Right, exactly. And he knows where he caught it, too. <laughs> So it gets real complicated here, and just uh, the the trap is starting to close in on Bridget and Ginger, how they're going to get away with this. Although, this is where Bridget receives a gift from God here, where her mother goes to the craft store, and Bridget sees something when Mom comes home for dinner. What is that thing that Bridget sees? Monkshood, the most random thing ever to buy at a craft store. (laughs) Mom found werewolf repellent at the craft store. What are the odds? (laughs) So then... Okay, there's Monk's Hood in the house, but they have to figure out how to use it. And at this point, Bridget and Ginger have a bit of a reconciliation. Uh, Ginger breaks down crying, I can't be like this, and and I'm sorry for how I've been treating you, I'm just scared. And Bridget says, it's okay, we're, we're going to go back to him, we'll figure out how to make the cure. And after saying this, Bridget is spending the night with her eyes open holding a baseball bat because she wants to help Ginger, but she still doesn't trust her. Yeah. Okay, just to sum up, because we're right at the end of the movie here, the last part, um, it's basically they have the repellent. They have this wolf's bane. They know this cures werewolfism somehow. They have to figure out with the drug dealer, Sam, how they're going to do this, how they're going to get it into Ginger's body. But unfortunately, we've run up against the the uh, variable of time because tomorrow is Halloween. Tomorrow is that full moon. Bridget is kind of scared shitless knowing something's going to happen tomorrow to Ginger. We better get this cure in her because tomorrow night everything goes down, I think. Right. So Bridget goes and locks Ginger in their bathroom. And Ginger gets very upset about this and calls her a sissy little girl because that's apparently how you insult someone for standing up to you. Yeah. Which has been one of Bridget's main arcs. Is her, her mother's always telling her, I wish you'd think more for yourself. 
you just do whatever your sister tells you. And Bridget's actually finally trying to get on board with that and not be pushed around by her sister into something that's going to be bad for both of them. So she goes to Sam and they figure out how to distill the, the monk's hood and make an injection while Ginger is clawing like crazy at the inside of the bathroom. <laughs> you say figure out. They guess. They're like, well, yeah. we could distill this and inject it. We don't know if it'll kill her or what the dosage is, but this could work. Let's try this. Yeah, so Sam has the big line of, you may kill her trying to save her, which is his big reveal moment that he's known all along that that Bridget's doing this for Ginger, that it was never really for herself, and he's still he's still there. He's still trying to help. Yeah. And again, the, the sensitive drug dealer, the one good male figure yeah. in the story, <laughs> he's doing his best to help him out. Yeah, with his amazing injectable drug distillery skills. <laughs> well, I mean, we're trying to figure out not only how does he know how to do this, but how did he know it was a werewolf to start with? And I just realized when you like use LSD, it opens your 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 portals in your brain, and you can you can you can uh, <laughs> you use more of your brain. So maybe the LSD has given him werewolf identifying abilities. I had never thought of it that way. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. All right. <laughs> yeah, you're here for the girl blood details. I'm here for the D&D and the LSD jokes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we pretty well cover things together then. Yes. <laughs> We're two halves of a whole. <laughs> okay. So so anyway, here's the final showdown. It's, it's Halloween, and Ginger has been locked in a room. And meanwhile, she's lycanthropizing all over the place she's going crazy because this is full moon day and she's supposed to trans transition and bridget has the syringe and bridget is going to go back to the house and inject it but uh-oh ginger has escaped and ginger makes it to school all by herself in full transitioning into a werewolf mode uh-huh and meanwhile the parents find the fingers that were left behind in the yard and the mother says oh they're just fake they're from one of her one of her photos, look at them, but then she puts them in the fridge and starts to look really, really worried, and she knows that there's something actually going on here. Okay, so let's see, there's a bunch of things all converging here at once in the last scene of the movie. Ginger goes to school, and she is just ready to party. She wants to rape and have sex with every guy. She wants to tear everybody apart. She's just, her hormones and the, the werewolf stuff are going crazy. And the counselor, or what happened? No, she, she walks to school and she flashes a bunch of guys, right? Yeah, she starts with that. And that's her starting small. And kudos to the cheap makeup at this point. They have her with the, the werewolf um, triple set of breasts. And it actually works really well in this sort of unsettlingly humanoid but also dog-like way. Oh, wait a minute. Is that, you must have a different version of the movie. But the version I saw, there's no breasts. Really? You have the director's cut? How dare you? You and Matt always do this to me. <laughs> I, you don't see her main breasts, but you see when she opens it, you don't see a full on, but you see underneath when she's pulling it open that there are these extra sets of nipples. And I guess because they're makeup and they're not human, okay. that maybe that was allowed in the movie without it being a director's cut. Okay, it's implied then. Yeah, because I was like, well, I didn't see anything. I want to see three breasts. <laughs> no. no, yeah, it's, it's implied. Okay, I know what scene you're talking about now. Three pairs of breasts. But yeah, she starts, she starts there, and then she goes and kills the counselor who, who called them in for showing off their suicide photos. And the janitor walks in on her. And she mauls him, and Bridget 
finds her just mauling the shit out of this janitor. Wait, you're leaving out one part, the important part here. As Bridget is racing to school to save her sister with the syringe, the one cure she has for werewolfism, she runs into the boyfriend who Ginger has turned into a werewolf. And he starts, right. yeah, and she, and he starts attacking her and then she injects him with the syringe and all of a sudden he's cured. He's like, oh, sorry for trying to mount you. My bad. Sorry. And the Canadian guy runs away. But now she has no syringe filled with an, uh, antidote anymore. Right. But she does know that it works if she can get another one. Yes, it works. The, she and the drug dealer have confounded science and have cured lycanthropy. Well, it's technically not a homeopathic, though, because he got the inspiration from that, but a homeopathic would be diluted to the point where there's nothing scientifically left in it. And we can see the purple sap of the flower in the syringe. That's right. So what you were, what you were saying is, fuck you, homeopathy? A little bit, maybe. <laughs> okay, Fiona's dad, don't listen to this. Seriously, don't. Yeah, but we know it works. So we know there's a cure for what Ginger has. It's just Bridget doesn't have it anymore. We used it. But she runs to the school and she confronts Ginger. And this is where they have this confrontation in the counselor's office now that Ginger has savaged the counselor and savaged the janitor. And Ginger tries to rationalize that it's, oh, it's because I didn't like how he looked at Bridget. But we, he's been a nice background character so far. And eventually Ginger admits that it was just because she that he caught her red-handed and she doesn't want to get caught. And she is now full embracing the werewolf and has decided that she wants to stay this way. She says, <laughs> what she literally says is it's like touching yourself. That's how excited she is about being a werewolf. And she starts talking about how she wants to bite Bridget so they can be a pack again, like they were when they were kids, when they were more alike. And Bridget says, I'd rather die than be what you are. And Ginger throws their old pact back in her face and, and yells it again and follows it up with, I said I'd die for you. And Bridget says, no, you said you'd die with me because you had nothing better to do. Yeah. And this goes back to the start of the movie. If you guys remember us talking about these sisters had a suicide pact out by 16. We're going to be dead by 16. We'll be together forever. And this is where they're arguing over that pact now. Ginger's like, become like me. Be a werewolf. We can be like this forever. And Bridget doesn't want to do it. And, and Bridget eventually gives in, right? She eventually decides she'll go for it. So it seems. So it seems. So, okay, so... With Ginger having gone to the Halloween party to celebrate being a werewolf, uh, their mom picks Bridget up and drives her along. And she suggests that we'll just we'll just burn the house down and run away and start over somewhere else. Just the three of us. And it's really not clear whether she's planning to burn the house down with her husband in it or just leave him. It's a Carol Brady moment right there. <laughs> But she says, ah, oh, he'll just blame me anyway. I always blame the mother. So perfect little moment there for her. And then, unfortunately, she admits that she blames herself, too. And the first time I watched the movie, I thought, oh, do you have some former knowledge of lycanthropy? Is this a family curse? Did you know this would happen? But no, it's just she blames herself as a matter of course for what her daughters do, which is sad in its own way. Yeah. But they, they do get to the party, and Bridget goes in after Ginger. 
Yeah, and this is where Bridget and Ginger finally have their final confrontation, and Ginger's like, join me, become a werewolf, and Bridget's like, no, you need to come back and join me, and this is where the drug dealer, Sam, I think he shows up, right? Yeah, Ginger's actually trying to seduce Sam, and he says no, to which Bridget, sorry, not Bridget, Ginger says jerk, as this dark reflection of of that moment with Jason in the very beginning. So she's become all levels of what she once hated in both boys and girls. But then um, she breaks his arm and Bridget comes in and interrupts and, and saves Sam by repeating their blood vow and infecting herself with Ginger's blood. But there's, there's just no affection in the vow this time. She is, furious that she's doing this and infecting herself and she tells ginger you wrecked everything for me that wasn't about you yeah let's okay just for people who've never seen this movie before that's the ending where bridget decides okay fine enough is enough ginger's a werewolf she's not coming back i will join you and she cuts her hand with with a knife she touches it to ginger's hand she's like fine let's just do this we'll be together forever and she is placated ginger and the rule is the the thing is they're going to go back to the house and they're going to become werewolves together on this on this full moon. So this is the final uh, pack that the girls have, the final moment they're going to share, and they will be together for eternity, although it's not really what it's what appears to be because Bridget is trying to trick Ginger here. Right. She reveals to Sam, after he hits Ginger on the head with a shovel, that she's actually just trying to lure Ginger back to where the cure is so that they can cure both of them and fix this forever. So Sam says, oh, why didn't you tell me? I'll drive you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here we go. One of the uh, great driving scenes here. Again, we're just 10 minutes left in the movie. It's really just three characters left. The mom and dad just disappear. I'm not entirely yeah. sure if they just fled the country or what at this point. But <laughs> Bridget and Ginger and Sam, the drug dealer, are driving back to the house. And Ginger is knocked out in the back of the car because apparently werewolves can be knocked out with a shovel. I don't remember that, but okay. So anyway, it's Bridget and Sam in the front seat, and they're driving, and they're going to go cure Ginger back at the house. But as they're driving, unfortunately, as will happen on a full moon, Ginger finally goes full werewolf and transforms 100% into a straight-out 100% lycanthrope at this point. Right. And she's, she's savaging the back of the van and no longer humanoid at all, and they, but they do manage to get into the garage of the Fitzgerald sisters' house. And they're going to go in and get the cure, and then they realize the lock on the van's back door doesn't work. That's how Ginger snuck in earlier to get high with Jason. Mm -hmm. So they're not sure she's in there anymore. And they're trying to figure it out. They're peering in through the windows, and she slams past them and runs into the house. So now she's in the house, and the monk's hood's in the house. So we have our two heroes, Bridget and Sam, trying to go into the house to get the cure, and they have to distill it and make a little injection out of it, but they have to get past Ginger, who again is straight 100% werewolf at this point, and we go inside and it's a, this is really the one scene in the movie that's kind of like a straight horror movie, where it's like a cat and mouse game with the werewolf stalking these two humans in the house. Yeah, and they're making the drug, and Sam suggests... Why don't we just use this on you and run and forget your sister? She says, no, I can't do that. So she says, okay, all right, I'll, I'll do it for you, he suggests as the apparent best guy in this movie. So he steps out of the closet where they've been preparing the drug and immediately gets 
horrifically mauled by Ginger. Yeah, very heroic role by Sam. Instant death the minute he leaves the safety of the room. <laughs> yeah, Sam gets attacked and Ginger just mauls him to death. And again, there's blood and guts and like not over the top, like it's not just trying to gross you out, but there's legitimately people getting torn apart in this movie and... So Bridget has to basically walk around the house and try to find Ginger. She's got the cure. She's got it in a little syringe. And we get the final confrontation down in the basement where where she confronts Ginger. And Ginger is, like, chewing on Sam's body and, like, eating him. And, and it's kind of a really gross scene here. Yeah, and Bridget tries to fake her out by drinking some of Sam's blood so Ginger doesn't try to kill her right away. But Bridget can't do it. She's not a full werewolf. She really doesn't want to be. And so Ginger just kills some, kills Sam and goes running after Bridget. And they end up in their old bedroom. And Bridget yells after how we saw this movie begin. I'm not dying in this room with you. Yeah. Yeah, it goes full circle right back to the start of the movie where they've made a pact to die together. And now here's the moment where they can die together. Only one's a werewolf and one is an in it. Uh, what would be the word? Inadvertent werewolf. Uh, she not, not, does not want to be a werewolf. So it's the final showdown, and Bridget's got a knife. And what happens, Fiona? Is is Ginger saved? Does it have a happy ending? When does a werewolf movie have a happy ending? <laughs> <laughs> she's holding the syringe, she's holding the knife, and it's the same knife that Ginger was using to try to cut her tail off earlier. Bridget has both of these, and Ginger lunges at her and falls on the knife, and it's not entirely clear whether she was going for Bridget or if this is exactly what Ginger meant to happen at the last moment. But Ginger dies, and we end with Bridget resting her head on her sister's body while she dies, surrounded by all of the pictures of their fake suicides from before. Yeah, a very profound ending where the... The reluctant sister has killed the lead sister. She, it's, it's argued she probably didn't want to. She really wanted to cure her, but she didn't. Ginger just kind of lunged onto the knife, and the one sister has killed the other one, and it's a sad scene of them just laying in the bedroom, and one of them on top of the other, one alive and one slowly dying. And really, that's the end of the movie. Bridget is also still holding the syringe, which still has a dose in it, the implication being that, well, now I can save it for me. Mm-hmm. So her sister ultimately didn't succeed in dragging her down with her like she'd always planned. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, again, I hadn't watched this movie in like 12 years when I watched it today. I forgot that Ginger dies and Bridget survives. I assumed they both died or they both survived. And then what what confused me even more is there's sequels to this movie. There's like three Ginger Snaps movies. And I'm like, but if there's sequels, how could they kill Ginger? I didn't realize Ginger actually dies in this. Yeah, the the first sequel is Bridget still coping with being a partial werewolf and ending up needing regular injections, and she gets stuck in a mental asylum with a psychotic little girl and a asshole orderly who wants to trade her monk's hood for sexual favors, and Ginger's appearing to her in visions of you'll be like me soon. And I have not seen the third one yet. I want to, but apparently it's set way in the past with separate characters, but played by the same actresses. So wait, there's an orderly bartering monkshood? Like, how much monkshood is floating around Canada? (laughs) Well, he already knew that it was what she wanted, what she was supposedly addicted to. That's what she got committed for. So he went out and found it. How he found it, I don't know. Maybe he went to the same craft store. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow. Yeah. Again, I don't. I don't generally like going into sequels and stuff because I don't like them. But yeah, I. I was so shocked when Ginger dies at the end of this because I. I thought you know there's three movies they have to be in both of them. But yeah, it's a pretty hardcore ending here with the sisters that had this death pact. It doesn't quite work out at the end, and one dies and one doesn't, and it's really left kind of ambiguous what's going to happen at the end. Is she going to cure herself? Is she going to become a werewolf, Bridget? So, yeah, it's just a a fun little movie. It's one that's it always kind of sits with me. The first time I saw it, I just it lodged in the back of my head, and I'm like, I, I like that movie. It was just there was something different about it. What? And I thought I know you've tried your best to finger what it was that's different. What would you say is different about this movie that other horror movies don't do? Well. It's a movie about girls that's actually about them as people mm-hmm. rather than just as victims, so that's a big deal. Uh, there are other movies that do that in different ways, but this one goes into some very specific details of what it's like being a teenage girl. Not just girls are people too and let's have girls in these roles dealing with things that everyone deals with that are universal, which is great too because – Women deal with most of the same things. Most of the human experience is the same. But this one also goes into this is the really specific crazy shit that teenage girls go through taken to this crazy horror fantasy metaphorical extreme. And that's something you don't see done very often, at least not this gung ho with it. Yeah, and I was going to say, you really know the characters as well. Like, it's not just a teen movie with characters that happen to be girls like they really embody these characters and you learn a lot about Bridget and Ginger and again there's only like two characters in the movie so it makes sense that he would really dive into what they're like but it's really really in-depth as a character study compared to most horror movies right and I'm always happy to see that when whoever the characters are whatever the story's about a movie especially a genre movie because it's so possible to do it in genre movies and think and people think it's not in a genre movie that takes the time to really be about its characters and get into the psychology of it because you've got all of these metaphors available to you to complement that and it turns out great when people really take the time with it yeah and just for me personally it goes into a lot of themes that i growing up as a teen boy playing dungeons and dragons and not talking to girls would never have even thought of for a horror movie so i mean for you it's second nature to want to go into these themes in your books because this is what you do for me it's like i get to learn about an entire new uh psychology of growing up that it never would have crossed my mind as a kid that girls have so many different emotions and pressures and stuff that the boys wouldn't have so just this is just one of these movies that really opens my mind to the the storytelling potential in in horror movies and specifically but just in movies in general so i i really appreciate movies like this that kind of open my mind to stuff like that that's really incredible to hear that's awesome because really that's what fiction should do there's there's two purposes to fiction really it's for people who have lived through this kind of thing to know that they're not alone and for people who never would live through it to get a window into that, no matter what the story's about. Those are the two wonderful things that fiction can do. And I love that this movie gets to do both of those things through the two of us, for example, and hopefully for a lot of other people. If, yay, people listen to your podcast and say, I have to watch this movie because it's underrated, because it is. Yeah, it's a, I get so much feedback on my horror podcast in particular, and it's, 
Like, when I look at my downloads, it's always the comedies that get all the downloads. Like, the horror downloads are, like, half as much as any comedy episode. But I hear so much about the horror podcast from people. Those are the ones I get all the emails, all the feedback. So, again, I'm really hoping that people will seek this one out and give it a chance. And, again, it's not the scariest movie in the world. It's not the most hardcore horror movie ever. But it's just something that's a little different and a little off-kilter. And it's just really made by people with love that really believed in the story and the characters. And it's, it's just, it just stands out to me for that, for that, for that reason. Exactly. And I really hope more people end up discovering it for that. And if you already know it and love it, um, one movie I would recommend that's somewhat similar, not exactly. It's not quite as good, but I like it a lot is Jennifer's body. It's horror with very much the same kind of subject matter and very much the same, kind of tone and it's got a lot of smarts to it and i've just recently discovered that one so check it out okay does it have a lot of icky girl blood in it um <laughs> that's not a real question ignore ignore that question counselor <laughs> no again i just a uh, fiona once again thank you for stopping by ua when you come on the show they tend to be very literary scholarly discussions because we really get into themes as opposed to like me just making dick jokes in other episodes so i i appreciate having different uh styles of episodes on staff picks and this one and the unfriended one i think really kind of jump out as me to me as ones that i think were really good discussions and i really hope people take them to heart and go find these movies because i really think these are movies that'll enrich your life a little bit oh thank you so much i really hope so too and sorry if i didn't make enough dick jokes i think i made some equivalent <laughs> you know girl part jokes to pad it out a little bit it's fine it's you know <laughs> any effort any effort you can make in that regard i'm more than happy as, as i said we will meet halfway i will i will discuss the the menstruation stuff and you attempt to make a dick joke once in a while and we will meet halfway in the middle <laughs> i can try <laughs> i can try that okay before we go you can tell people uh where they can find you where they can read your works what are you up to these days well, at the moment, I'm polishing up the fourth book in the Prospero Chronicles. That's a YA horror series that I started along with Matt. I'm doing the fourth book on my own, but he's helping me out with the editing because I tend to be light on description. So he's working on giving me notes on that right now. That one's supposed to be out later this year. That one's going to be... I'm doing it myself. Uh, we just recently had uh, Pinnacle City, a superhero noir come out with Talos Press, that one's a, a dark, very social commentary-filled sci-fi novel, um, Pinnacle City, a superhero noir. Um, I'm also planning on starting on audiobook productions for my indie titles soon, so I'll let you know how that goes. You've given me a little more experience and confidence on the actually talking out loud thing. Hopefully that translates. And you can find me at fjrtichinell.weebly.com you can find all sorts of information there you can subscribe to my newsletter over on the right hand side you can find all my books under the novels tab I uh, hope you come and find me especially if you like this movie because this is exactly the kind of fiction that I want to put more of into the world alright that being said what is going to be our next movie we cover on staff picks do you have any, any uh, nominations ooh I hadn't thought that far ahead. Oh. Have you seen Jennifer's Body by any chance? <laughs> I have not seen Jennifer's Body, so I'll have to look into that. So, 
just just curious if you had anything in mind. And although it is funny, the one thing you said there that I've given you more confidence going on and talking on uh, podcasts and stuff. Um, what's funny, this is one thing and I would say this to anybody who's going to come on the show or who listens to the show. There's really no such thing as a good podcaster or a, bo- or a bad podcaster. The one thing I've noticed is that the only thing that makes a difference is repetitions. So like, mm-hmm. that's the thing. So you, it's really evident the more you speak, the more you do shows, how it really stands out, the confidence you have and just how comfortable you are doing it. So that's one thing I just want to get across to anybody out there that there's no such thing as someone who's just inherently good at podcasts. It's just experience. If you want to go and talk and do this thing for a li- sort of thing for a living, just go out and keep doing it and you'll get better at it. That's how it works. Awesome. All right, and again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. You can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time I talk to you, I will be out searching for more underrated movies that just need a little more love. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. This is absolutely fascinating.